It's a TV show. I don't need to know your thoughts on it. Spoiler alert. Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. <laughs> How are you? How you doing? Good. Great no, to see you. No real updates. It's lovely to be here on another uh, summer night, an official summer night. Yeah. It is now ca- calendrically the summer. God, I love the summer so much. Yeah. You're a summer guy. I'm not. Big summer guy. Don't no, like summer that much. We don't, we don't see eye to eye on that one. <laughs> no, here's where we differ. That's that's where here's you where and I are different. We're at odds. Besides that, exact same person. Are you comfortable? Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. good. I like I like the pillow behind me. What do you like about summer? Ah, uh, you know what? I think it's because I so end of school, obviously. So summer vacation. <laughs> it's funny that just stays with you. <laughs> yeah, for the same reason. Totally. For the same reason, I like the fall. I mean, there's a number of reasons to like the fall, but there's a part of me that's like. Uh, innately been bred to feel like it means new beginnings. Right. And so like once upon a time it meant going back and seeing your friends and like the air is cooler and Halloween Mm -hmm. happens or whatever. But like nothing necessarily happens new for me in the fall anymore. And yet every time I'm like, okay, what's this fall going to bring? Right. And I, and also my birthday, but you're June, June birthday. What did, did I wish you happy birthday? No, I'm an August birthday. You're an August birthday. Okay. I'm turning 30. This is my second Bo Burnham reference. (laughs) This episode. Yep. On that note, actually, we've got some feedback because uh, we were discussing Bo Burnham Inside. And after this episode, we can put it to rest because, God, it's everywhere. But I had actually solicited academic advice from our resident theater scholar, my good friend Jade. And I asked for her to uh, break down the definitions of of comedy and tragedy because the term comedy special is being gatekept. And so uh, this is what Jade prepared for us. All right, you asked for it. Jade explains a thing. Comedy. Because, you know, the best way to know if a joke is funny is if you have to explain it. Aristotle's The Poetics dates back to the 4th century BC and is the earliest surviving treatise on the components of drama and literature. Aristotle essentially seeks to define what makes a comedy a comedy and what makes a tragedy a tragedy. I am, of course, super oversimplifying here, but essentially a comedy shows less virtuous people as opposed to the more virtuous people that you would see in tragedies in less serious situations depicted in silly ways so as to hold up a mirror to society and reflect its follies. The etymology of the word comedy is that it comes from the ancient Greek and it's two words, one that either means revel or village and the other one means singing. If you want a slightly more modern definition, we can take it up to 17th and 18th century England when they were publishing Shakespeare's works for the first time and his plays are all categorized as either a tragedy, a comedy, or a history. In tragedies, a lot of people die. In comedies, no one dies and usually people get married. All that to say, anyone trying to gatekeep comedy needs to catch up on their Aristotle. So now we know the difference. Mm-hmm. No weddings in Bo Burnham Inside. No weddings. No deaths. No either. deaths. True. And overall, are we closer, probably some laughs? Closer to a resolution? Of course there's laughs. It's funny. Yeah. It's it's all moot because of course it's comedy. Definitely. So there we are. Um, Thank you, Jade. Thank you for that. Yes, Jade. Great job on that she one. She was insecure as she always seems to have some kind of insecurity about- She always the, has a question about something after the- Like, she's she, like, I hope that yeah, she's, I didn't- She's a vital contributor to show show media, and mm-hmm. she was nervous this time that she comes off too nerdy. She she resented having to be somebody who <laughs> knew that information in the first place. I mean, I, to be fair, I thought at one point, I was like, okay, so I was going to say- is this Jade knows a thing or is this Jade explains a thing? Because like, <laughs> did she actually know that? If so, well, I she mean, probably did. She I mean, probably she, does. She went to theater school and she's worked in theater her entire life. Yeah. And she's she's judging based on a text, which is the Poetics by Aristotle, which mm-hmm. is like 
uh, it's like a pamphlet. It's only like 35 pages, but it's essentially the rules for how to tell an effective story. Right. And I told her, you might be a nerd, but you're not a poser like me, an owner of Aristotle's The Poetics who has oh my fact God. read it. <laughs> you own it? Yeah, it's upstairs. Nice. Yep. What made you get that? I don't know. I like to write stories, and I figured this would make me better at it, and I never cracked it open once. Mm. It's almost like reading like a 1,600-page book to be like, I'm going to, once I do this, I'll be there. Well, similarly, buying empty notebooks. You think that this Mm. is part of the process of validating that you're a writer at all. Right. And really, it comes from a place of, gee, I wish I was writing right now. I would feel, you never really feel like a writer until you've written. Mm. Um, But little ways to bandage that is to do the performative pretend things like buy leather-bound notebooks and and Aristotle's The Poetics. I would say the- Writing for dummies. The equivalent for me was going out and buying like running tank tops, like running like singlet style the other day. I bought like three of them. And then I just, on super hot days, I'm like, well, I'm not wearing anything else. This is perfect. Absolutely. It is the most comfortable thing. I can't believe that I've never- Especially like as a quote unquote runner, mm-hmm. like you're 100 percent a runner. You did a marathon like eight months ago. Well, a full but, marathon on your own. But I never had one of the. So this is this is a game changer for me. I'm so excited to put them on anytime it's hot, or I'm going running. I'm summer. not excited to put on the sleeveless tanks, but I have an array of them, like mm-hmm. Old Navy. There's a palm tree on this one. There's like a Pepsi can on this one. Sure, I've got a few of those because it gets really really hot, and yeah. I shouldn't be expected to have to wear sleeves at a time like this. No, you're a Justin Thoreau. But that's my problem is I'm so not a Justin Thoreau. <laughs> and so I toss this thing on and my arms look like those uh, those Pillsbury cookie logs. Oh, you're overthinking it, man. No, no one no one this sees- This is my damn house and I still feel insecure. <laughs> no one sees sees a guy with a tank top and goes like, oh, nice, nice arms. Oh, I disagree. I've looked at a guy with tank tops and thought, gee, nice arms. Like, but like sarcastically? No. I've no, looked, okay. Justin Thoreau, in fact. Sure, sure. But <laughs> but the, I guess the difference is I'm saying, like, if you saw a guy with not nice arms, you wouldn't go, like, wow, nice choice on the tank top, would you? Ab- absolutely not, no. Yeah, I think you'd be like, whatever. I, I would celebrate it's his so confidence. And, exactly. And also agree that, gee, it's so hot. Mm-hmm. But look, insecurity's never about other people. It's always about me. That's Yeah, that's true. It's hard to talk someone out of... Uh, you know, something that they're feeling. <laughs> I did a, a break on the radio, which I think is similar to the phenomenon you just described about like buying the gear so then you're the thing. Right. Uh, and I was talking about how uh, buying exercise equipment is a similar concept to that. Like you buy yep. the treadmill and then you'll get fit. Mm-hmm. Although really you don't end up working out any more than you would have before. Oh I, uh, man, I do get excited about stuff like that though. I, I nerd out on on tools or equipment or... Yeah. Yeah. Tools? It, it, like a table saw? Is that a similar premise? Yeah, although wood's just so expensive right now that I can't oh, yeah, use it for example. anything. But I did get a table saw for Christmas, but it's still in a box. So I compared buying a treadmill mm-hmm. and not working out anymore right. to having my haircuts done at home now and not getting any more haircuts than I used to. So I always had this habit of waiting a month too long and getting really wooly and shaggy. Right. And that's still happening, even though my haircuts happen here on this deck now. Yeah, we haven't seen our girl for a while. I don't think we've seen our girl since 2020. (laughs) Uh, Okay, if we haven't shared that story on the podcast, for a long time we went to the same barber. Yeah. And they're mostly really good. But one of the cool things about this place is you don't really have to make an appointment. You can just walk in. Mm -hmm. And it was by work. And they had a huge staff. And most of them were terrific. All but one were really terrific. Yeah. When we (laughs) actively avoided. (laughs) 
she was so negative. She would just mm-hmm. complain and she would say like conspiracy theories she read on Facebook. And the other thing is she would take like 80 minutes to do a dude's haircut, which should take Because she would minutes. stop and then hold the scissors up. She right. one time explained celiac disease to me. That was Which great. you have. And and she was <laughs> she wasn't even cutting my hair that time. She was sitting in the next seat over or she right. was like cutting the hair of the next person over. It was like, you know, you like you if you do that, it can hurt your body by like not giving yourself So can eating gluten. I was like, Yeah, but I'm celiac and the like the whole <laughs> premise is that it does damage, so and she was oh, like, Okay. <laughs> I would not want to hear her thoughts on COVID vaccines. You don't want to hear her thoughts on anything. Which is why we were able to surmise that Mm -hmm. she generally has her day off on Wednesdays (laughs) and Saturdays. And so we always got our haircuts on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And then it got broken for me at one point. And I was there on a Saturday and there she was. She was covering. She was covering. And I don't think I've been back since. I honestly think I would walk. Now my wife cuts my hair. I think I would walk in and go like, I forgot my wallet in the car. (laughs) Just go out and drive away. That's the solution. Yeah. Yeah. She th- she thinks she's got a nice haircut all lined up and daddy's gone. But I wonder if she's had complaints. Like, I mean, maybe maybe there are people who really like her. Mm-hmm. They enjoy her company. That mm-hmm. seems impossible. I think, I think one time, actually, one of the girls, like, wanted me to spill the tea on it. You know what? And I think I kind of did. You know what? I have a story about this. I okay. Just, I, you just brought it back to me. So- I walked in and I was like, hi, I'm Colin. I don't have an appointment. And the person checking me in was like, do you have a preferred uh, uh, stylist, hairdresser? And I was like, no. And then she said, is there anyone you don't want? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she looks up at me. I must have told you this story before. She looks up at me and she goes, it's Matt, right? No! Oh yeah! She Damn thought it. she thought I was you, but I misunderstood the question, and I thought she was asking me if the hairdresser I didn't want was someone named Matt. <laughs> and so I said, "No, it's," and I said her name. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it even better because I thought you the had door. It out. <laughs> I thought the door was open to be tawdry and gossipy. Yeah. Oh my god! And were they like? And then she just kind of she just winced. No, she didn't even like cringe she laughed like it didn't surprise her to hear this and she realized exactly what had happened and she thought you and i were the same that happened one time on the phone too where i was like uh so who's working today and she very quickly got to like who are you trying to (laughs) (laughs) was like who are you trying to avoid and i was like uh just tell me who's working and i'll know the names oh this poor gal the perfect job is out there for her it's just not that or maybe it's that with with a completely changed um, uh, approach. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, well, and some people have a lot of anxiety about having to be social at their haircut. There are hairstylists whose whole gimmick is, I won't talk to you while we right. do this, while we do this business. You can get lost in your thoughts. I'm going to mm-hmm. get lost in mine. Snip, right. snip. It's all business. I would ask when cutting someone's hair, I would break down that barrier. I go, listen, I know that there's a sort of uh, expectation. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to know, you can tell me straight. I'm not going to be offended either way. Do you want this to be a chatty haircut or do you want me to completely shut up? Give me a number. Give me a number one to five. Yeah. What (laughs) If if I'm giving you a 20-minute haircut, how many minutes do you want me talking? (laughs) 
Because you know, I got some stories where I got to stop snipping for a while. <laughs> That's right. I got to look you in the eye. That's right. I, I made up my list of five, 10, 20 minute stories. <laughs> <laughs> Just play the hits. Yeah, exactly. You want to hear about the time a baby. Uh, a, <laughs> you want to hear about the time a baby sloth bit me? Or do you want to hear about the time? What if that was the whole gimmick of the salon? That when you book a, an appointment, they ask you, like, listen, we got a, we got a sad story about a baby. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we got a story about, with lots of puppies in it. A story about a house fire. <laughs> yeah, a story about a house fire. Uh, uh, a familial strife story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, a triumphant return story. <laughs> now, what are your politics? We should probably straighten this out before you come <laughs> yeah, in. Exactly. <laughs> you just fill out this intake form, and we'll be with you in five minutes. I had a dentist appointment this morning, and my hygienist is, um, she's a hygienist. She doesn't belong to me. She <laughs> is uh, so awesome. She's just such a nice, cool person, and she was very chatty, but she does that like dental stereotypical thing well, where she's, she's talking constantly, and I feel like I should be involved a little, yeah. but there's- hands in my mouth totally and so i'm just kind of grunting and it sounds like i'm blowing her off which dentist office uh hillside on portland street okay who what was her name uh she's like blonde okay Not i her. don't know why because Do my friend we have the same dentist no my friend now works there and she's a hygienist and oh, no her way. name's michelle and she's like is she young like us yeah i think she did me one time nice <laughs> like maybe a year ago or something yeah super friendly yeah there was uh, there's this other hygienist who's worked there ever since I had braces and yep. she's she hasn't worked with me in a long time but she um she's just like a tough person oh and, my god and I had to get I had to get fitted you want the floss yeah she was she was frightening and she had hairy arms and she, and she was fitting me for a retainer okay and I don't know if this is still how it's done but they have these like big stainless steel trays that are i guess the shape of the human mouth oh yeah yeah and i they, know what you mean and they fill them with this putty yeah. this purple uh goo mm-hmm. that hardens and turns into a stone yeah that is your mouth and uh she wedged this thing over my teeth and i've got like pimples and stuff because i was <laughs> awkward enough as it is and i remember as it's fusing to my head she turns to look at the clock and she sharply jerks my whole head to the side. Oh. And I got this terrible Charlie horse on my neck and there's cement all over my teeth. And I'm 14, as if like that wasn't bad enough. Right. I've n- I'll never forget this woman. I saw her today briefly. And anytime I see her, I think of that moment when she like broke my neck while I was in the dentist chair. Oh my God. She Sweeney totted me. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. The demon hygienist of Portland Street. <laughs> of Hillside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a fun little story hour. What a romp we just went on. Wow, what are you watching? Uh, you know what I'm watching and I'm actually really loving because I'm a sucker for a good sports documentary. Okay. Is this four-part series called The Kings on Showtime. Oh. And it's about boxers in the 80s. So it's like Sugar Ray Leonard, um, this guy, uh, Marvelous Marvin ha- 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 Hagler. Okay. Um, Marvin the Martian. Yeah, exactly. That's what it sounds like. Uh, Timothy the Hitman Hearns and Roberto Duran. Okay. And they all, like, they had such a huge boxing career in the early to mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And the story is kind of profiling all of them and how they all, like, fought each other and how they had to, like, move around to fight. And it's just done so well. And it's, like, aligned with Reagan getting into the office and, like, oh. 
his politics and how the country wanted to see, you know, the kind of polished, clean capitalist, which is kind of Sugar Ray Leonard. So this is a great sports documentary is when they can make it a cultural document as well. Totally. And I don't know what the original example of that is, but did you see O.J. Made in America? I didn't. So like that's people say it's awesome. It's like a good documentary about O.J. Simpson is like one of the great documentaries of our time, in fact. Um, But in a broader sense, it's a movie about the relationship between like the black community and the police in America. Right. In the mid 90s. And so and I guess that's what this is trying to do. There's a there's a lot of that, too, for sure. Um, It's uh, yeah. and, And just like, you know, where everyone came from, like. Roberto Duran came from Panama at the time that like the Panama Canal was being like given back to Panama and people mm-hmm. were furious about it. And Ronald Reagan was like, you know, kind of butchering uh, Jimmy Carter, Gerald. Yeah. Jimmy Carter for it. Um, and uh, so, there, yeah, there's all this kind of strife happening in the background. It's all kind of aligning to their stories and yeah. and like, you know, uh Timothy Hearns from Detroit and you know, this guy's from Chicago and this guy's from Massachusetts and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, and the cool thing about it is it's never showing anyone talking. Oh, it's just their audio going over top. Oh, cool. It's, it's like, and while it's showing these old images, not images, just like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. B roll of the whole thing. That sounds really good. It's amazing. It's called Kings. The Kings. Yeah. And it's nice. a Showtime thing, and and three of them are out, and the fourth one comes out. I don't, I, I would assume like Sunday. So it's happening in real yeah. time. Didn't see the new Loki. Forgot about it last night when I. I still have only seen the first Loki. Oh man, second one's good. I don't know what's wrong with me. Like I feel like a person who is supposed to like Marvel, and I identify as a person who likes Marvel. Mm-hmm. And yet, when there's a new Marvel, I'm just like, give me a break. <laughs> but I liked Loki. But you don't you find yourself looking for stuff to watch? Sort of. I mean, we're always like binging a series, and so like we're so comfortable just throwing on a Mad Men. You're still in Mad Men, and then Becky goes to bed, and I tend to watch movies by myself. Oh, that's cool. What movies do you watch? Well, you just old old favorites. Okay, so I kicked myself after you left last week because I meant to mention this after we had that whole discussion about I guess it was IndieWire ranked the top ten best comedies of the century so far, and we thought that was so preposterous that they said Sideways was the best comedy. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to watch Sideways. Never saw it before. Oh. It is super sad. It's, which maybe I knew, it's a little funny in that, uh-huh. like, their lives are falling apart, and that's sometimes funny. Yeah. But it was such a huge drag. Was it a bummer in the end? Like, the last, like, you walk away from that going like, oh, that's too bad. Kind of. It, yeah. What it is is incredibly cynical about, love yes. and, and your dreams so you saw it i did i yeah. saw it uh i probably saw it like six years ago yeah so it, which the, was still late the, i didn't i didn't know anything about it i just knew it was paul giamatti and thomas hayden church and it was a wine movie yeah. that was the extent of what i knew and so in premise thomas hayden church is getting married and so his bud who's maybe not that close with him but it was his college roommate paul giamatti uh is gonna take him to the wineries for a whole week of drinking wine and playing golf. Yeah. And Paul Giamatti is a struggling novelist and a wine expert. Mm-hmm. Thomas Jaden Church uh, is like a C-list famous actor from TV. And he really just wants to get laid one more time before he's married. Oh, right. So yeah, that's I remember when... that. That's such a greasy premise. Oh, yeah. And he spends the whole movie like hooking up with Sandra Oh and right. like leading her on. Yeah. Meanwhile, Paul Giamatti is like, 
so he's such a sad sack. He's and a his, sad sack. His novels getting uh, he's a rejected. Is that a a line in it? Maybe it is. And then in the end, without giving anything away, except giving everything away, Thomas Hayden Church gets married to his fiance, and Paul Giamatti's book gets rejected by the publisher, and. He kind of just drives off. Oh, he's been like coveting. He's been hoarding this very special bottle of wine that he's been like saving for a special occasion. And he told this woman who he kind of is into about this wine. And she's she's a familiar uh, wine enthusiast, too. And so she can appreciate how special that wine is. It's a good line, actually, where he says, I've been waiting for a special occasion. She says the special occasion is when you drink the wine, which I thought was like a really cool way of looking at special moments. Good point. Anyway, so the, the movie ends with him sitting in like a Carl's Jr. or something, drinking the wine from like a big Slurpee cup and eating a a cheeseburger. And I didn't know if that was supposed to be like, look how he's fallen from grace, this wine is being wasted, or like, is he finally enjoying a moment? Maybe he is. But- yeah, I think I think maybe that was my takeaway because I I don't remember being saddened by it. I think I remember being like, you know what? This guy realized that like he can't, hang on to every single he can't have such a build up for everything that's fair he He, is idealizing his someday right and he's like a 50 year old man yeah and he needs to just go and get a burger and pour that pour that wine into a big cup I guess he is kind of smiling. I don't know. It just seemed sad to me. It seemed like a drag. I do know that that Paul Giamatti is doing another movie with uh, with uh, Alexander Payne who, who wrote and directed that. Okay. And so that's what's next. I remember thinking I was going to have more complicated feelings about the movie than mm-hmm. I had. But the greatest comedy since 2000? Oh, yeah. Not possible. Come on. Not possible. We watched Luca this weekend, which is the new Pixar movie that came out at no additional charge on Disney+. Plus. Okay, yeah. And so I didn't know anything about it. It was really low stakes uh, in terms of expectation. And then it was really low stakes in terms of... Uh, execution too like uh, the last several Pixar movies have been so existential in dealing with life and death and what does it all mean and this movie is really like there's a big race and the climax is gee I hope we win that race oh that's kind of what the movie's about were you okay with that there's some more like subtextual stuff about identity which I think was probably profound um, and probably more impactful for someone else I wasn't moved by this movie I thought it was cute at best a race, like a running race? Or like a go-kart yeah, race? Yeah, it takes place in Italy. Uh, okay. He's uh, he's a sea monster. He's he's like a merman sea monster, oh, okay. kind of. Right. And uh, he disguises himself as like a boy mm-hmm. on the shores of Italy. Gotcha. And so he has these friends, and one of them is also a sea monster. This is what I mean when I say like it's a very like not well-disguised metaphor for identity and, and, and maybe like uh, sexual identity as well. Um but uh, Merman. essentially, yeah, it's about a foot race and like and like having dreams. But he, d- but he don't have feet. And being outed. But he does have feet. Oh, he does have feet. He gets feet when he goes to the land. There's, gotcha. The science of it's not really it's, explained. It's kind of like Little Mermaid, but. It is the first. On these, what do you call them? Feet. Very good. I don't know if that was pitch perfect. I Well, you know what? I, I realized you said that I was really loud last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I realized it might be because I don't have headphones. Yeah. So I feel like I'm like talking to you six feet away. Okay. And you're just able to. I can hear you crystal clear, baby. No, you're I good. know. But I th- I think that I would otherwise monitor the way that I was speaking. Yes. A little bit more because I'd be like, oh, this is too loud for me as I was speaking. 
Anyways, so if it, this is loud again and you have to do some work, I'm we sorry. We could just as well be sitting this far apart if we were chit-chatting in a living room. Yeah. No, I, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is the headphones is the differentiator. So that's why you're not able to sing aerial songs. And that's key. also throwing me off too. I need the Robert <laughs> I need the Robert Downey earpiece. Okay. And at all times. And cuz Becky could be feeding me the the Little Mermaid lyric. Right. Tell me that Becky wasn't the biggest Little Mermaid fan as like a young child. She must have been. I got to tell you, I mean like I don't I don't think it was like dominant. No. She, she and I watched the Little Mermaid uh, about a year ago, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen it in a long time, and like we enjoyed it. Are you just saying that because she has red hair? Yeah, I'm projecting like <laughs> what a young red-haired girl watching a cartoon red-haired girl must be like. Oh, but apropos of our I. conversation last week about how we're going to be excommunicated by our nation for not being big Anne of Green Gables fans, uh, she's from PEI. Yeah, and so there's really only one redhead in there. Oh, okay. In but she does like her godly stratosphere, yeah. of course. Yes. Anytime Anne is referenced in popular culture, she lights up like the sun. <laughs> she goes into her book of quotes. She does. She gets so happy, so <laughs> giddy, and that's why I feel kind of bad for not connecting with Anne. Although I also recognize that Anne's not there for me. Mm-hmm. I never connected with Matthew, and that's my name. That's true. It is funny you forgot his name. Is. It's your name. <laughs> I even tried to think of it again this week, and I was like Thomas. <laughs> Suites of Green Gables featuring Uncle Matthew. <laughs> Doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. So I watched I watched Luca. I was going to add that it's uh, a turning point. It is the first ever Pixar movie to not feature a cameo from John Ratzenberger. Who's John? You're, fam- you're not familiar with this this ongoing tradition? No. So he's the the male mailman from Cheers who Oh, he's who in everyone. Every single Pixar movie until Luca. Oh my God, the money wasn't right. <laughs> I think it's just kind of become this wonderful tradition. He was Ham in Toy Story, and yeah. then maybe he was somebody in A Bug's Life, and they're like, let's keep this up. He's got a great voice. And it's just like someone like walking by, kind of like, hey, get yeah. your hands off my car, kind of thing. Yes, I think the prominence of his cameos has really diminished over time to the extent that like you might not catch him. <laughs> but for the first few movies- He's heavy breathing in the last movie. <laughs> for the first few movies, yeah, he, he was- uh, he he was Owen Wilson to Pixar's Wes Anderson. Right. Okay. He was Diane Keaton to their Woody Allen. Oh, uh, you had to do it. I couldn't help it. Didn't want to, but there it is. Um. Well, that's strange. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe he's not well. Maybe. Maybe availability. Maybe availability. I watched Late Night. That was something I did. Not that good. I shouldn't. I shouldn't lead that way. That's not, not awful. Fair. Okay. Like I was okay with it. Yeah. Uh, it was. I mean, it was like a turn your brain off movie. It is. So I wasn't expecting. The thing is perfection. Emma Thompson is so good at everything mm-hmm. that you do buy her character. Mm-hmm. But I think I said recently that comedy that's written to be comedy within comedies rarely is convincing. Right. Mindy Kaling is super likable, but I also found her like a little daffy and 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 unrealistic. Right. And I will say, like, spoiler alert: we're about to. I'm about to spoil late night. The fact that um, the exec just kind of walks in at the end of the movie and was like, actually, the show is yours. Right. <laughs> like, for as long as you want it or whatever. It's, she just has the ultimate say. Like, there's no other. It's a little happy-go-lucky in the end. And, yeah. like, Ike Barinholtz is playing such a cliche. It could have been a little bit more leveled, I think. Yeah. It's okay. You're right. It is a turn-your-brain-off turn your movie. I've seen it twice. Yeah, I I liked. I, I mean, I thought there was kind of a twist with the the whole like partner scenario. I thought that was kind of 
kind of good. What happened there? She was like kind of going to date one of the guys and he turned out to be not so yeah, a special. Yeah, a bit of like a sleazeball, I guess. He was kind of trying to sleep his way up, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, I think so. And then one of the other guys turned out to be Deese. Yes. Who was also in a lot of other stuff. Possibly the Mindy Kaling show. Yeah, recognizable Project. faces for sure. Yeah. Strangely, John Lithgow just plays like her yeah. husband who's like in a scene. He gives her a pep talk at a turning point. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. good. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was fine. Long time coming. Yeah. I have watched almost the entirety of the Before trilogy. I fancy myself this like great Richard Linklater fan. I love yeah. Ethan Hawke. I love romance. I love chit-chat. And for some reason, I had never been able to sit down and, and watch Before Sunrise. So I watched Before Sunrise, and then I watched Before Sunset. I'm about halfway through Before Midnight. So you hadn't watched all of them? I hadn't watched any of them. But this was a while ago that you watched those. No, I'm telling you, I watched them like in the last few days. I had never seen any of them. You've never seen them before that? No. Oh, I thought I thought I remember having a conversation with you like a year ago, we saying have, like I love that movie. No, no, because I watched the first one. Mm-hmm. It when? was good. Like a long time ago? No, like within the last year. Actually, you're giving me an Ethan Hawke vibe right now. The way I'm speaking? No, it's just like your eyes. I can only <laughs> see your eyes. Oh wow! I'll take it. Okay. Um. No, we must have got our signals crossed. I, I, we, I'm sure we were talking about Merrily We Roll Along and Richard Linklater's uh, affinity for long-term storytelling. Yeah. I'm a big boyhood fan. Yes. Uh, this is kind of another version of long-term storytelling and mm-hmm. like doing these like nine-year pickups of the same couple and where they are. Yep. No, I, I I think I just didn't have access to the original movie. Like Before Midnight always pops up on my Netflix queue and the other two were nowhere to be seen and now I have a Crave subscription. Nice. And so I watched the first two. Um I don't, I don't. I can't really have an opinion on the third one yet, although it seems like they're not going to pull any punches in terms of uh, uh, de-glamorizing long-term marriages, and so that's a little tense. Right. Second um, one you liked? You know what's f- fantastic about the second one? What? 76 minutes. Oh, very brief. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would say it's less a movie... Uh, it's it's kind of theatrical, I guess. It's It's a really good conversation it's like before before sunrise is a movie before sunset is a podcast gotcha kind of with some really good we like like podcasts we do some really good parisian backdrops but like do you remember in the first movie like there's the cool scene where the street poet asks for a word and they pick milkshake and he writes them a poem or they go to a club at one point or they go to the bar and he like convinces the bartender to give him a bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. And so like, these are like little moments of interactivity that kind of make it an overall theatrical experience where they kind of stripped away all of the extra stuff and people for the second movie. I don't know if it's because they just wrote the movie as they were going, like Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy have screenwriting credits on that movie. Um, which I think got nominated for Best Screenplay. Um, And they just like talked for 76 minutes, but it didn't not work because it was full of uh, backstory and that means it's full of exposition, but it didn't feel like it. Nice. And it might just be because their chemistry is gorgeous. I don't know her from anything. No, I think that's like her only thing. She's like a tragically unseen person who's so beautiful and charismatic and funny. And at the end of the second movie, she sings an original, well, it's the character's original song. I think maybe Julie Delpy wrote it as well. And that's how the movie kind of ends. She's like singing a song on an acoustic guitar and she just kills it. And the third movie picks up 
a little little heavier, but like I'm I'm a fan of these. Yeah, and you're not done the third movie yet. No, and like maybe also because I spent so much of last year pining over normal people. <laughs> sure. That like now I'm I'm liking this new couple that feels very real. Like it feels mm-hmm. like their love is pure. Yeah. I eat that stuff up. Totally. Yeah. Of course. Um, there was a uh, a podcast with um, a Dax Shepard podcast where it was um, the dude from. Law and Order, Criminal Intent. Uh, he's like good friends with Ethan Hawke. Uh, Vince Mun- oh. Munt something. Like he's not a well-known, he's like a very like stagey okay. style actor, but like the bigger guy who was on that. And him and, he played Kingpin in Daredevil. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, I can't help you. He's The extent of my criminal, ni- uh, criminal minds uh, knowledge is Mandy Patinkin. They, they are absolutely like, He's a strange guy, mm-hmm. but the podcast, you got to listen to it. Okay. Why? Because, because he's like best friends with Ethan Hawke. Okay. And they like, I think you'll just like his take on like hanging out with Ethan. He just kind of like casually drops it here and there. Ethan Hawke is so uh, unabashedly pretentious. And I really appreciate that about him. He's just How like, you, no, I'm, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm not going to be sorry for that. I think it's cool. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard him say that. Like, I've heard him, like, talk about, like, getting into the characters and stuff. Maybe, is that what you mean? I mean, I guess so. Like, I... his, like, process, he's, like, pretty open about that. And just philosophically, he really approaches life artistically, which, by the way, is a privilege to be able to do that. But, mm. like, he, he is so not hung up on the movie star of it all. No, definitely not that. Definitely not that. You've seen Training Day, right? I have seen Training Day, but I'm not, like, close to Training Day. No. I think I saw it in high school. Training Day is so good. I haven't seen Dead Poet Society. Neither have I. Oh, is that our next show show watch watch? Maybe it But two be. of us haven't seen it? Might as well do that at some point. Yeah. That'd be good. It's on the plus, I think. Definitely. You know Ethan Hawke has a house in Nova Scotia. Yes. Uh, in Cape Breton? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about that at one point. So does um, uh, Alan go <laughs> Argo fuck yourself? Yeah. Uh, Ben Affleck? No, the uh, Alan, Alan Alden. No, Alan not Arkin? Alan. Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin has a house in Nova Scotia. Yeah, he's on like, he's been on the. <laughs> I forgot about that. He's, he's been on, um, he has been on the CTV telethon mm-hmm. more times than you and I have eaten a sandwich. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not I, that many times. I love that expression, but by he's, the way. he's been on it a lot. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, he goes on and he makes a donation. He's like, I love Nova Scotia and, you know, I own a house here. (laughs) It's 454 (laughs) drive. Trick or treat at my house. I'm having some people over tonight. (laughs) Ethan Hawke will be there. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And he was in that movie that was about, it was kind of a, a PEI movie, wasn't it? Ethan Hawke at one point. Oh, Ethan. Well, he was in the Maude Lewis movie. Right. Which is... I think it was shot in New Brunswick, actually. Or maybe it was yeah, set it in was New Brunswick. Some, yeah. she's, she's strictly a Nova Scotian hero, Maude Lewis. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he played her relatively mean, alcoholic husband. Mm, not a good look. No, he's good, though. Yes. Like I he said, unabashedly pretentious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I listened to this uh, podcast miniseries called The Shrink Next Door. Yeah, okay, well, Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd are going to be in the, the adaptation of this? Correct. So it is an investigative podcast miniseries not unlike s-town or serial or whatever right um 
or Dirty John. That was a TV show that kind of evolved from a podcast. Uh, and I watched the trailer for the Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd thing, and maybe I just wasn't paying very close attention, but from the trailer, I kind of got the impression that this was just going to be a sweet story about a lonely guy who befriends his therapist, and yay, friendship is grand. Right. Uh and then I listened to the podcast and I had to go back and watch the trailer again and I really misinterpreted the trailer because no, this is a story about exploitation. And, yeah, and, uh, I got that from the trailer. I wasn't paying close <laughs> enough attention. Okay. Clearly, I had a, I had something else on my mind. But yeah, it's it's a, 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 an allegedly true story about this uh, very well-respected um, Hollywood therapist, this psychiatrist who mm. like treated Gwyneth Paltrow and Courtney Love. Oh, wow. And had these glamorous parties at his house in the hills which as it turns out was not his house at all it was the house of this fabric salesman named marty who he took on as a client and basically uh took advantage of for 27 years and brainwashed him to be essentially his slave and he did this with like a bunch of other people and he was just very charismatic and and he what's interesting is that and i assume the tv adaptation will find a way to involve this if only as like a postscript the podcast feels very inconclusive in that like it's not an unhappy ending but you're like gee that guy's still out there right and then two weeks ago he had his license revoked he's not allowed allowed to practice any form of medicine anymore and so there is some kind of redemption happening as the investigation is underway but it was an interesting listen and and torturous yeah god that's crazy. And I remember getting into it as soon as I started this. I was like, this is either going to be kind of sad or like a comedy. There's and bug it, spray there, by the way. It seems like bug it's spray. Sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, it does seem kind of I think that Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd is an interesting casting choice. I think Paul Rudd, even less so than Will Ferrell, has established like a dramatic capacity. Like, I think he's like he's supposed to be this like really well-trained Shakespeare actor who only ever does... Uh, raunchy comedies and Will Ferrell occasionally turns in a real performance and I think that both of them are going to have to do that yeah and uh, Paul Rudd's doing like a very very Brooklyn accent in it yeah he's kind of got like a yeah yeah that's right anyway it's I listened to all of that there's a, there's another adaptation happening too and it's Dan Harmon and his pal um, not sure who it is it's not Justin Roiland but it's based off those those comics you know like the things you see on Reddit every once in a while with the two aliens they're adapting that? They're adapting that into a cartoon, I think. Wow. Yeah. Which So what's funny about that is I would always assume that those cartoons are popular because they have like a singular comedic perspective that's of the mind of whoever the creator is. And I wouldn't think that just anybody could jump in and co-opt that comedic well, rhythm. And so maybe the person he's partnering with on it is the creator. Must be. That Yeah, that's... Could very well be. And I guess if Dan Harmon calls up and he's had all this success with Rick and Morty. Totally. You would say yes to that? Yeah, I think so. And cool. everything. I heard a story the other day about um, <clears throat> Dan Harmon being on Sarah Silverman's show and she fired him and said, there can only be one crazy person on this show and that's he me. is known for being difficult, borderline problematic right. on, on set. Yeah. And I think they're like still okay, but- just I, found that funny, that pull quote. As I understand it, he has made amends in ways that people find satisfactory, mm-hmm. and he's made his apologies both publicly and privately, and I, I don't know that he has any serious enemies, right. um, but uh, yeah, there have been some issues. Interesting. 
Plus, when you have like a public feud with Chevy Chase, most often people will give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Those are movies that are complete blind spots for me. Like any Chevy Chase movie, like Fletch, I have no idea what that is. Not not just that. I've never been a vacation person. I've well, seen that's, that's deeper. Yeah. It, that's I've seen deeper. the Christmas one, but I don't care about it, and I'm not mm. sure I've seen any of the other ones. And I've, I haven't seen like Stripes. No. Or meatballs, I, uh, I think that's also Kentucky one. Fried Movie. Never seen Kentucky Fried Movie. <laughs> no, I've never seen. Do any... we need to do a deep dive? Because I feel like uh, I, I don't know. I think a lot of those movies don't hold up anymore. Those those I... like Mad Magazine movies. I feel like Stripes and like Fletch are supposed to. Maybe, but do people ever cite them as their favorite anymore? What's the I, what's I, the I guess what's like the Gen Xers do the frat boy movie with John Belushi? What's that? Yeah, that one's not Animal House. Animal House. Yeah, like I don't think that movie is known for. It's not Mad Magazine. What am I thinking of? National Lampoon. Lampoon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if the other ones are technically... I think those were like kind of once they became stars, they went into this, but I don't think they were National Lampoon movies. I don't know. I honestly, I don't have any opinion on this this culture of movies. All right. No. Interesting. I'm happy we talked about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's bang through a couple of things here. Do we have anything to say about the Britney Spears situation? No, it's just that it's it's awful. It's She's clearly being like, yeah, like held captive against her, and and yes. everything that she owns is being held captive. She testified to her a, body. She testified to a judge yesterday. She basically told the judge that she wants to be released from her conservatorship. She has an IUD that she's not allowed to remove, and she wants to like get married and have more children, right. but she is legally not allowed to do that, which seems outrageous. Yes, uh, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, you nailed it. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I'm the hero here. Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, I didn't see this coming. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, this is a real full circle thing for Jerry, the Pop-Tart lover. He has written a movie called, where is it here? Uh, Unfrosted. He's going to direct the movie called Unfrosted. Hmm. He's going to star in the movie that he's written and directed. And it's about the invention of the Pop-Tart. Yeah. But it's a comedy, so I don't know how much narrative liberty it takes. What an insanely ambitious move. Yeah. It just seems like uh, we we didn't really see this coming from from Jerry, but it's... uh, Imagine if Jerry gets, like, nommed for an Oscar. I wouldn't get ahead of yourself. This is a Netflix original movie. This is no different than Jerry doing a comedy special. Jerry can't act. I'm Jerry Seinfeld, and I'm a bad I, actor. Thank I, you for this, Emmy. I, I hope he, I hope he um, breaks the the fourth wall. That would if be they the cut best. to if him he's doing like, stand up at Largo. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I want something sweet on top of this pastry. You know what? Just reading the headline, Jerry Seinfeld's going to make a movie about pop tarts, made me want pop tarts. So yeah, this man. is already working. Pop tarts, tasty. You yeah. want them? <laughs> the Beatles, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts. Just tens across the board. Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) (laughs) They are considering making some pretty dramatic changes to the award structure at the Emmys. Okay. They are going to have an option to be eligible for a performer Emmy rather than an actor-actress category. Okay. And so what we're doing here is we're allowing for gender not to rule the way people win awards for their performances. Mm -hmm. And that's progressive and fabulous my only concern is that then there's fewer emmys to give out yeah but i'm sure they can find a way around that and i i can't imagine you being a part of this community and deciding no i want an actor uh, a best actor emmy 
Who cares if, you know, my co-star gets a best performer Emmy? I want the best actor one. Who's going to be that asshole? Right. So best performer is just going to be, it's going to be best actor, right? Slash actor. Just performer. Yeah. It's best, best performer. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It, it just, no, that's it, great. It just means that Brian Cranston and Katherine Hahn can be nominated against each other, which right. always should have been true when yeah. you think about it. It's a, a completely arbitrary distinction. So still like 10 people being nominated? Is that the... How many people get nominated? <laughs> well, maybe fewer. Yeah. Okay. Because it's, like, like I said, like fewer Emmys, but I don't know. That's wow. That's my only issue with it. I think probably the only pure and true way to give out an Emmy that's not comparing apples to oranges is to have five actors or actresses or performers all play like Hamlet or something, mm-hmm. and then we judge the performances. But then you could even get into more minutia there and say, well, they were directed by Quentin Tarantino and they were directed by Steven Soderbergh. I'm picturing- and so like, they all have to do exactly the same context in order for us to know what was truly better. I'm picturing them, them still giving out like a best actor and best actress and then going like, Text six zero seven seven to to pick one <laughs> of them time. for your best performers, <laughs> and then at the end of the night they're like, "And the best performer is by public opinion." <laughs> and Kathleen Kennedy gets a judge's save when somebody gets voted out. That's right. Right. Okay. Well, I think we just fixed the Emmys. A <laughs> couple of sad ones. Uh, James Michael Tyler, who played Gunther, has stage four prostate cancer. Yeah. So this might explain why he wasn't able to be there in person at the Friends reunion. That's that's an ugly situation. That's too bad. Also, Mark Hoppus. I was gonna go there. Oh, you next. were gonna go there. I didn't think you would have that on. Mark there. Hoppus. Yeah, he he released a, a tweet yesterday about it. He didn't get into a lot of specifics. Yeah, but it sounded grim. Like he's he admitted oh, no. to being scared. Yeah, he did say that. I saw his Instagram story where he said yeah. it, and then there was like a picture of him at like his. I don't know if it was his first chemo treatment, but it was definitely a chemo treatment. I probably saw the same statement. Yeah, I'm not ready for that, man. That seems too adult. It's just, it, yeah, it really seems like it would be, um, the, I, I don't even want to say, I, I would obviously be speaking out of turn if I said the first, like, like, uh, adolescent influence that yeah. died, because that's clearly not true, but right. definitely would, would impact me. Yeah, he just means a lot to me. He's really, he seems like a cool dude, too. Totally. Yeah. He did this thing a few years ago, like, like 10 or 11 years ago now where he was just releasing like bands not releasing bands but like writing an article every month in Spin magazine I think it was about like the band he likes and why he likes them that's nice and that made me go so deep into like seven different bands that he mm-hmm. recommended and so you were a long lasting fan of some of these bands yes still am cool that's like, awesome like he he was pointing out some <clears throat> really great well he made their careers artists. then yeah i think so yeah yeah yeah, lover of music. He has a an Apple Music show too, by the way. I wonder if that's like a radio show, still ongoing. Yeah, yeah. He's super funny on Twitter. Although now that I think about it, he hasn't been tweeting as much, and I guess because he's had bigger right. things on his mind. Yeah, it's funny yeah. how you don't really notice if someone's been gone right. until they come back, and they're like, yeah. "Hey, here's why I was gone." Yeah, that's the sad thing about this social, social media. media Everything world. is so um, transient mm-hmm. and and impermanent that you are never actually like living in in a moment where there's any kind of perspective. There we go. Real deep once again. The sun comes down, the mosquitoes come out. You can never... Colin's heart of flutters. (laughs) Come on, y'all, let's scream and shout. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Juno Temple, big fan uh, uh, of Juno Temple, is going to be in The Offer, which is the Godfather-making series with Miles Teller. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, put her in everything. She's terrific. 
Speaking of that, did you see the season two trailer of Ted Lasso? Yeah, it's great. Do you know they're just sticking with three seasons? Jason Sudeikis has kind of doubled down on that. No. He's like, we're going to come back one more time and we're going to get out while the getting's good. Love and it. It's, just love it. It's a great idea with a sports movie. Yeah. Or a sports show. The arc of a sports team's success. Because if you win in the first season, then... Because I remember Jen going like, oh, they didn't win, though. And I'm like, well, we, like, what would they do in the second season? Go to like the World Cup? Rock, and, Rocky like, didn't win. In the first no, Rocky, true. right? So that's true. And there's too many Rockies. But like, it, before you get frustrated with a lack of Ted Lasso episodes when there's like 200% more episodes than exist already yet to be released, just look, of it, look at it as a movie. And if, if there were three Ted Lasso movies, you never would have complained that there wasn't enough. No. And so I, that's true. Th- three seasons is the perfect amount of time for almost every show. There are a few exceptions. If it's good enough for the leftovers, it's good enough for me. That's right. And it's uh, Conan's last week. As we tape this, Conan's taping his last show. God, 196 in the last Conan show? Yeah. Is this 196? It is. Good nice. for you. You can count. <laughs> that, well, that was condescending. It sure was, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Um, Yeah, Conan, I think, was probably the, the most impactful late night guy for me. He's definitely ha- the guy yeah. that I stayed up late. I, I recorded... I always laughed the hardest at because it was so absurd. I was so present for Conan's Tonight Show moment. Yeah. And that was like a, a really fascinating Hollywood business story that I was like kind of entranced by as it was happening. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to remain a fan of his on TBS for a while. I'm not like not a fan of his now, but I drifted away. And I don't know if that's just an age thing. Uh, I kind of grew to have some frustrations with the way he conducted his his shtick. Yeah. Uh and I think he's getting out at the right time, too. Yeah. Like, I think that this is wise. Like, the business is clearly changing. COVID probably accelerated it a little bit. He has all the money he could ever need. He also can do, uh, content-wise, anything he wants. Right. And is still um, doing the podcast. Like, that's not done. Yeah, and he's doing an HBO show. It's just going to be more travel-oriented. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's not really going away. But no. they're they're making a sort of uh, ceremonial send-off where he's having his best guests come on Again, uh, you know, Bill Hader and, and Dana Carvey. I don't know if you saw Seth Rogen offered him a, a toke the I, other I saw night. it going around. I didn't watch it. It was kind of funny. Yeah. It was It was kind of a neat thing to see on TV, I guess. Right. But, like, it, it wasn't It wasn't a I big I just picture Conan being like, oh, <laughs> a little bit of the uh, the wacky tobacco. Not something I usually do, but. Uh, that was then. remarkable. <laughs> that, that, thank you for that. That was so close to what exactly happened. Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just it's yeah, he lays it on so thick. Yeah. What what I actually like is like <laughs> I I do find him with Sona very funny. Like there yeah. was a whole thing where they were speaking to a therapist and she Sona was like, He says that I like I don't like the things he says about me and the therapist is like, Well, what does he say? She's like, I don't know, like I floated to this country on a little basket and that <laughs> and Conan just starts like losing a lot and she's got like this laundry list of complaints and he's so quick to just launch into like to to uh to explain further these <laughs> insults. So is she though. She is supremely she's, she's really funny. genuinely funny. That's clearly why they get along. Yeah. And the lines are kind of blurred. Like I I'm kind of over his shtick of like I'm the king, you guys have to worship me. It's right. just this corny like joke he does every single time, but she's so sardonic and hilarious. They're trying, I think, to do a similar thing uh to the Sona caricature with Wally the cue card guy. At, oh, uh, at 30 Rock now. So he's turning up on 
Seth Meyers most prominently on Amber Ruffin's show. Yeah. He's also head of cue cards at SNL. Oh, wow. He might have walked on at Fallon at one point. Like, Wally the cue card guy is becoming this little cult hero in New York City. Interesting. Yeah. There was one other uh, note that I wanted to mention about Conan, and it's slipping my mind really quickly. I don't know. Maybe okay. maybe the blob got me. Yeah, must be that. Let's talk about shows. All right, let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to go first. Would you put me on the clock? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to uh, recap. My phone is now dead. Okay. Well, can you put yourself on the clock? Put myself on the clock. We can do this. Yeah, I'm going to recap. I think I'm going to recap the first episode of Sweet Tooth. I could count it like um, David Bowie in uh, um, what's that song? In Space Oddity. Space Oddity. Thank you. Can you do that for us right now? You've done a good Conan tonight. Nine. Nine. Eight. Seven. We're going to get sued if Seven's you don't stop. We can only do go to seven. You're right. Okay. After that, you have to pay. <laughs> I'll just say like seven over Royalties. <laughs> 30 times. Okay, you still got to count me down. I'm going to recap the first episode of Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth? Yep. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I kept wanting to call it like Big Tooth and Little Foot. And... Little Foot was also rattling around <laughs> yeah. my brain. Okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're going to recap Sweet Tooth in three, two, one. Show, show. There is an apocalypse, some kind of viral pandemic where uh, a bunch of people start dying. And also, like, babies are born partially deers, and they're called hybrids. And so Will Forte takes his baby son and runs off to the woods to raise him to be about eight years old. And they live apart from uh, the collapsed society. But then they kind of get found, and Will Forte kind of goes off and then comes back, and essentially he dies. Gus, the little deer boy, is by himself. And then he's going to get hunted, but he's rescued by a big man who he runs off with to have new adventures. You nailed it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to like this, and I don't know why. It's good. It's super good. It was so cute. And mm-hmm. and by he's the way- He's so good in it. He's terrific. He's, I just, I don't, I don't like the look of it, which is nobody's fault. Like Otherwise, I think the design of the show is- gorgeous certainly the cabin that they built in the woods yeah. like and and the cinematography is incredible when you're looking out at the planes at the end and he shouts hey big man i'm coming right. with like that is some really great cinematography for a netflix tv show yeah um the kid is good i didn't like the babies with deer horns kind of gave me the the heebie-jeebies yeah a lot of a lot of the babies as like different animals yeah. like they're like eagles and oh yeah i guess but not... you know who else didn't like them society Ah, see, I'm part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't you fare said, well get rid of them in this post society. Mm-hmm. It is based on a DC Comics series, um, like illustrated and written all by one guy, and it's been adapted here. Um, I thought they did a lovely job. Like it seems big, like they invested money in this. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is behind it. Oh, RTJ. No kidding. Yes, I didn't think he'd have another hit. I'm still not convinced he will. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I <laughs> like the show. I'm sorry, I saw you oh looking at your notes. Oh my god, that was notes. awkward. Um, no, uh, fan of the show. It's kind of a slow burn. It's not something that I'm like constantly, like okay, next episode, next one up, next one up, just no. do it. It's kind of just filling a void for me right now. I don't feel addicted addicted to it, but I just thought it was so sweetly done. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, maybe it's the charisma of the kid. Maybe it's the design mm-hmm. that continues on. Okay, yeah, like where. You you just kind of grow to and and it expands out a little bit too. 
I didn't have very good feelings about the longevity of Will Forte's character pretty much from Jump Street. I right. was like, this dad's not going to stick around. But he's so good. It's kind of yeah. nice to see him play like a like a warm dad character. Notably, it's his second post-apocalyptic show. Right. But he dies right away. And <laughs> I can't help but notice that his eight-year-old son has to, this doesn't happen on camera, but he has to dispose of his father's dead body by himself in the right. woods. That's sad. And then he builds a scarecrow version of his dad. Yes. Which is sad. Mm -hmm. There's also the thing where he's like kind of having a meltdown because he's alone and he starts throwing all of his scarecrow animals in the fire and he throws his stuffed dog in the fire but then he rescues the dog. Yeah. And he says sorry. Ah, it's heartbreaking. I like the big man. I I think that's kind of like a like an adventure saga trope, like the big tough guy who will uh, Totally. who will protect you. Who's a former like NFL player. Oh, is he? Yeah, remember there's that point in the uh in the show where the doctor is watching TV and it like closes up on the TV and it's just this big football player. Oh, you and mean that's... his character is a former NFL player? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I want to see that story unfold a little yeah. better. Do we go back and see how that came to be? No, not really. Um, and maybe that'll be a thing that happens. I, I At the point I'm at, I think we're like five episodes in. Hasn't happened yet. I My prediction is uh, that like big man's going to get the sick at some point. But I'm not sure. I don't, know. I don't think the next father figure can die. Yeah, you're right. That would be a little too much. Yeah. But there are other people that come in too, right? So What about the doctor? Like The whole cold open of the show mm-hmm. focuses on this doctor, and you kind of think that he's going to be a prominent character, but then never again in the episode. Not in the episode. Okay. But but in the show. Um. Well, I've said a few times that I like the design. They don't make him bigger than me. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really good. I don't know what, what more I can say about no, it. I think you said it all. Other than I'm almost getting exhausted by how prescient everything seems to be. Well, and I I feel like this was made in COVID, was it not? Well, it might have been, but the comic book wasn't. No, no. Like it was, there was no. always like this source text of right. a viral apocalypse that True. Turn, turns everybody yeah. kind of different. Utopia being kind of, kind of a similar thing. I just, I at this point, I'm like, oh, they made this because of COVID now. It reminded me a little bit of, I mean, the end, this idea of these two unlikely friends going off for an adventure in in uh, the brush together and the cinematography as well. Did you see The Hunt for the Wilder People and did we talk I about did. it? Yeah, did, yeah. Did we I, ever talk I, about how wonderful that movie no, is? No, I just messaged you at, like, I was like 20 minutes in, I think, and I was like, this movie's amazing. I can't believe I haven't watched it. The movie is gorgeous. When he's talking about all of the reasons that he's... Uh, uh, been in trouble and he's like shooting things uh <laughs> jumping on things <laughs> i love his haikus when he recites yeah. his little haikus yeah they're he's so a gangsta cute. um my favorite scene in that movie is the bunk bed scene like they're in the cabin and mm-hmm. there's like a, i think there was at one point another guy who was sleeping in the bunk beds for whatever reason um uncle heck and the kid i forget his name are sleeping in the bunk beds and they're talking about the the auntie who's died and it's just like they become they become like friends who need each other, and that's yeah. that's the moment when I cry. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Taika Waititi, a genius, as it turns out. It's yeah, it's a really fun movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, give this your S, sweet tooth. I do. I do. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna recap the uh, the first episode of Kevin can f himself. Really mm. interested to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Are you all set? Do you know what yes. to do? Okay. Recap that in three, two, one, go. Okay. So uh, is her name Jamie? Allie. Allie. Allie is the uh, the wife of a 
sitcom star essentially but it's not actually a sitcom star but it's shot in two different ways she really hates him he's super selfish the classic kind of uh sitcom husband trope um and she wants to get his revenge because he's an idiot and he's spending all of their money and uh does not care about her at all and his dumb friends and dad are over all the time I mean, it takes her the whole episode to realize that she wants revenge, right? Like, for for much of the episode, she's just still trying to tolerate this man. Yeah, she's kind of coming to... She's like, if we had this house, yes. I could be pouring him a beer, and she, it would be, like, totally fine. Exactly. That's she kind come, of my dream. She comes up with this fix for, like, how to better enjoy her life, but it's not going to work. Right. And so... She convinces him to move to a nicer house, mm-hmm. and then they have the boss over for dinner. Yeah. And by the way, um, second show this year to spoof sitcoms right. where the pilot where the pilot uses the boss's coming to dinner trope. You're so right. Um, and at this dinner party, husband gets hammered and he's belligerent and just like tacky. Yeah. Uh, and announces to everyone that they're not moving. And so she gets thrown under the bus. Right. She goes out. Drinks a cold 45 and does coke, and somehow she's like still lucid. <laughs> right. And she has one final fantasy where uh, rather than pouring him a beer, she stabs him in the throat with the beer. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's and kind s- of changing the, it's changing from like uh, single camera to three camera. And it's very strange when it does that. I don't know if it's actually changing the entire, it's certainly changing the lighting and stuff. Yeah, the lighting is very different. But I wonder yeah. if it's changing the whole set. I think it might be. I don't know. I think the living room looked the same. And at first I was kind of wondering, okay, is it only a sitcom in the living room? Mm-hmm. But no, it's only a sitcom when her husband's around. Yes. And so whenever he's on the phone or they're in the kitchen or in yep. the basement or whatever, um, there's a studio audience laughing. Yeah. And you're right, it's very bright and vibrant. Yeah. But it kind of just looks like Roseanne or totally. or King of Queens King of or Queens, whatever. For sure. Um, and, and by the way, like Kevin Kniff himself, that's, like a very direct reference to Kevin can wait, yes. right? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I thought the girl that was killed off of Kevin can wait had something to do with. I hope so. Uh, with like this coming. To, I was thinking about pass. that poor woman today. Yeah. I was thinking like, what an insane thing they did that everybody just went along with. Yeah. That they had this chance to get he and Leah Remini back together, and so they just killed off his Kill wife. Her off. And this actress we've never heard of before loses her job. Yes. Who, yeah, who probably super appreciated the work. I think, and I think she was like a comedic actress that. I would love if some, she was a part of this I, show. Yeah, I think she's like a producer or something. <clears throat> Fabulous. I think she might have helped put it together, but I'm not positive. I remember that being a thing early on. So she otherwise lives in kind of like a sad liminal state. Like mm-hmm. she's, she's, it's very washed out. She's like not as glamorous as she wants to be. At one point she goes to like a makeup store and the two ladies who are working in there really don't want to help her. They just yeah. kind of want to like condescend her. And even her, her gal pal, who's like a part of the crew, the neighborhood crew right. is not nice to her. No, um, she's not even really her gal pal. She's kind of like her like enemy. You're right. She's actually more a part of the husband's yeah. Uh, crew. Yeah. It does seem like a direct Kevin James reference. I mean, like yeah. who, are, who are the other, I think so. It's, it, it claims to just be broadly commenting on this ugly trope of like the, the schlubby husband who doesn't deserve the like, yeah, doting wife who's I mean, too hot for him. I mean, you you think about it, like everybody loves Raymond. That's a little like bit, a similar vibe for sure. Um, definitely, definitely King of Queens. I think Roseanne is one of those too. Rose, um, I mean, Roseanne wasn't one of those wives, but like the the 
you know how when you were watching the sitcom scenes of this show, you yeah. were hating it so much, yes. and you had to remind yourself that this is satire. This is yeah. The the comedy is is as bad in the Connors. Yeah, d- definitely. But I don't think that he was ever the, unironically. The, I don't think that he was ever like the source of any like pain. No, or anything. you're right. Kind of, the the, the marital dynamic. Like, the marital dynamic is not the same. No, as Roseanne. no, right. she's not being walked on. No, no, no. I think that's a big thing. She's good in this though. She's not uh, Alexis Rose. No, she's totally different. She is good. I don't know if I give it my S though. Like I don't know if I I want to watch this through. I but I find it so interesting. But I just like. Don't know if I want to well, watch in the, it. Well, in the scenes from the next episode, she's just kind of musing about other ways she could kill him. And so she's like, I don't know if we're, we're building towards a season finale where she eventually does kill him, mm-hmm. but it seems like we're probably going to spend the season and she's just like ruminating, going off the rails a little yeah, bit yeah. more, right? Which would be interesting, like from like to watch her act that way would be really cool, but I don't know if I want to watch a show about that. You don't like to watch a show of somebody going off the rails? I kind of, I'm psyched about it. And it's I don't I don't like things that are too dark and gritty. I certainly don't like when people get their throats cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but notably, she took that jagged piece of the beer stein and, and she put, put it in her put pocket. It in her pocket. Yeah. Like that's to mean like okay, I'm not over this instinct. Maybe it was that was long too. It was too long. It was too long. I think that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to say. I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought she was really good. What about the accent? The accent is a choice. Yeah, because they're, they're in Worcester. They're from Worcester. Yeah, it's tough. I think props to her. I think I think sometimes people do it like they they could have chosen where to do this. It's not like they did choose essentially because she's Canadian, right? Is she? Yeah, it's she's from Schitt's Creek. I know, but that doesn't mean she's Canadian. It does actually, and she is. <laughs> Okay, someone acting in Schitt's Creek doesn't mean they're automatically <laughs> Canadian. Fuck off. It kind of does. I mean, like, before the show was anything- You're saying there's was... never been an American in Schitt's Creek? No, I, no, you're taking me too literally. She is Canadian. She's a Toronto actor. Okay. Um, she. It is a choice that they did this Massachusetts accent, but I wondered about that. Is Well, first of all, what is, what is the accent? King of Queens, I guess, is like a Queens accent. Do they, mm. do, they do that specifically? Not really. I guess maybe Leah Remini would. Oh, true. Yeah. Well, it it must just be to like to lean into the blue collar of it all to like yeah. the, the relatability of working class America. Maybe they really wanted to act. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who's the guy? Who's Kevin? I have no idea, but he's got a uh, lazy eye. He was. I mean, he he's, he's played. He nails it. He plays. And so his does the part. brother. Oh God, that guy's such a cliche. He, he nails exactly who he's yeah. supposed to be. Right. Yeah, anyway, I, you don't give it your ass. I do. Yeah, I'm just, like, more iffy on it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to watch another episode to really confirm, but right now I don't. Chris Elliott is probably American. Yes. I think so. But part of the SETV family, and that's how that's he true. got that job. Yeah. yeah. I just mean to say it's a show that's made in in, in <laughs> I don't know. I'm Canada. sorry to get so hot about she, that. You did get really hot about it. She got that job as a nobody mm-hmm. in terms of uh in terms of fame. That's true. That's true. Did you did they show her like audition process for that? I think for they Schitt's did Creek? at one point, yeah. She's talked about it, about how she is one of those great stories about like I had a hundred dollars in the bank right. and I was gonna quit acting and then she got the job of a lifetime. Nice. Which, by the way, she she crushes. Like there was a previous world where Chris Elliott was going to be 
Roland shit and Abby Elliott was going to be Alexis Rose. Right. And she couldn't get out of her SNL deal or something. And I bet she's kicking herself. I bet she wishes she Mm -hmm. was in that part. But I'm not sure it would have been as good with without any Murphy. Be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you should leave comes out in another like <laughs> 14 days. I know every time every time I see that somewhere, I think of you because yeah. you just ate it up so much, as mm-hmm. did a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I watched the trailer a couple times. It I, made have, me laugh. I have very few memories of it. I watched it all, and mm-hmm. it was really something else. I actually had to watch it again, I think, to get those memories like ingrained. He's a unique kind of guy. Definitely. Tim Robinson. Definitely. Will Smith is publishing a memoir. comes out this fall. It's, it's only a matter of time. It's called Will. He wrote it over the last two years. He can't wait for us to hear his stories. Man, Will seems like such a weak title for it. Yeah, I guess. It should be like... uh, Willpower. Here's a story all about how or something. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. That's really good, actually. Except for that he's leaned into the Fresh Prince stuff so much. much. Yeah. Yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. Mm -hmm. Independence Day. (laughs) (laughs) Goodwill hunting. Yeah. <laughs> Just anything with Will. Uh, are you going to read this book? See, the thing is, like, I like a celebrity memoir. I would normally not read Will Smith's memoir, but think of how frigging lush it will be for uh, segment stuff. For, for this. For this, for this segment. For show prep. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should do a chapter by chapter. We maybe, read one word every day. Well, maybe that's it. Just maybe like every page, there's a 300-page book. It's 300 Will Smith facts, and we just turn the page each week. And be like, <laughs> there's definitely going to be some pages where we go like, oh, like sounds bad that we don't trust this. But there's been lots of those anyway. Know, lots right. of times where he's like giving a bunch been of money a, to a, a children's hospital or something, and we're like, never trust Will Smith. <laughs> Can't trust that guy. I mean, I still he didn't don't. Mean it. In spite of the donations to children's hospitals, and we don't. We don't what? Trust him. I would I I trust generally donations to children's hospitals, but not Will Smith's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't seen the checks cleared. That money came from somewhere, and I don't <laughs> I don't need to know where. <laughs> Ozark. <laughs> Never trust Will Smith. <laughs>